Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Kelly Clements has been in workshop rooms behind closed doors with the entrepreneurial elite for more than 15 years. After working for some of the most prestigious coaching companies in the world, she started her own coaching practice in 2012. Since then, she's gone on to write a best-selling book and has spoken to hundreds of groups, including Million Dollar Roundtable, YPO, EO, Vistage, and a host of other mastermind companies. Her focus leans toward balancing the scales of business and relationships, as she's witnessed and experienced the toll entrepreneurship can have on marriage and families. She believes the strengths that make us successful in business can be a challenge at home, but her perspective and strategies have worked to help entrepreneurial couples achieve greater harmony while building their businesses. Her experience working at Strategic Coach gave her a broad understanding of the processes and systems that allow companies to 10X. Here she was exposed to invaluable coaching tools and concepts designed to give entrepreneurs more freedom of time, money, and relationships. Next, she moved on uh, as session director at LifeBook, and this role afforded her the opportunity to support successful entrepreneurs in their personal lives. Mastering the principle of interconnectivity gave her the unfair advantage in her coaching practice. Her innate understanding of the intimate connection between the love relationship and the business development uniquely qualifies her to help couples navigate common entrepreneurial landmines. Her background also includes working for Walt Disney, Disney Cruise Lines, Sea Pines Resort on Hilton Head Island. She holds her bachelor's degree in commercial recreation from Illinois State University. She's also a travel baseball, travel basketball, football mom, and committed to showing her sons, Will, uh, who is 11, and Luke, 9, all that life has to offer on and off the field. So Kelly, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, good to see you again as well. So this was a, an interesting outreach. You actually reached out to me and said, hey, I'd love to be on this podcast. I have a, a unique perspective. And I said, nope, we only interview COOs. And you said, yeah, but I know all the COOs. I know all the spouses of entrepreneurs. And I have kind of the rest of the story. And that was really what intrigued me for um, for having you on. So thank you for pushing out to me on that. Yeah, of course. You know, this, when I think of second in command, because I always see your marketing, when I think of second in command, my mind automatically goes to the spouse who may or may not be more behind the scenes. So thank you for being open to it. Yeah. So normally my my shows, you know, me interviewing the, the COO of a company and really trying to get the rest of the story. And I've always said that, you know, if I interviewed a, a husband and wife in a traditional marriage or, or you know, two, you know, a two couple family, um, and I asked, you know, we'll go with the traditional family. So if you ask the husband, how did you raise your children? He would give you his side of the story and it would be very true. And if you ask the, the wife, how did you raise your children? She would have her side of the story. It'd be very true. And there'd be differences. There'd be a lot of differences on how they actually raised their kids. And in the company, if you ask the CEO, how did you grow the company? And then you ask the COO, they have very different perspectives. So I'm really curious to, for you to kind of start us off and maybe give us some insights that we can kind of dive into later, but give us some of the insights onto the spouse's perspective on the entrepreneurial journey um, sure. and what it's like being a spouse of an entrepreneur and what entrepreneurs are, are actually like, not what we think they're like. <laughs> well, I always say our greatest strength is also our greatest weakness. And, you know, that's where the whole adage about the things that make us successful in business can be really hard at home. Um, you know, in particular for entrepreneurs, CEOs that, you know, the high drivers, if we're driven in business, we're control freaks at home. 
you know, if we have a, attention to detail in business, we're, we're, you know, we're OCD at home. If we're well, well connected in business, we're always plugged in at home. You know, we're never fully present to our, to our families. And so it's those same strengths that make us successful in business that actually can work against us in our personal relationships. Mm. And a lot, you know, that's one of the things that I often hear from spouses is, you know, I feel like I'm in his employee, you know, he's at work all day and there's all the, you know, it's like, yes, yes, yes. And everybody wants to retweet him and he gets to go speak at these conferences. And, you know, he's always gets to be on this pedestal. Of course, I'm being very generic here with him, but the entrepreneur home and and it's like, I, I'm not another yes person. And sometimes I just feel like, you know, me and, or my kids are just part of the team and, you know, we're one of his employees and I don't want to feel like that anymore. And most often, you know, the entrepreneur isn't aware of that until we have the conversation, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a lighthearted, you know, there's, there's a sense of humor that needs to go into that conversation. You know, this well, for sure. Totally. ADHD, narcissistic, bipolar, you know, pick the diagnosis. All three. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, and so that's, that can be a tough pill to swallow at home for a spouse that's trying to keep life on the rails. And often it requires a fair degree of sacrifice of our own goals, our own pursuits, you know, because we're keeping life on the rails for our spouse, our kids, all the ancillary activities that come along with life. And a lot of times a spouse can lose him or self in that gravitational pull of the business. So how do you begin those discussions and, and where do you work with couples or where do you work with CEOs? Where do you typically start? Do you typically start with the spouse or with with the CEO and this stuff? You know, it, it really depends. Most often I start with the CEO because when I'm talking, most of my clients come from my speaking engagements, which is with YPO or Vistage or different mastermind groups. So I, I normally interface with the CEO first. Mm. Um, and that actually has been the biggest challenges my, in my business because what happens is they're like, yes, yes, yes. You know, my wife says things like that all the time, right? We're totally experiencing that. And so now I have a two-part sale because I, you know, they're on board right away and they go home and the message that they give at home is, Honey, you gotta call this lady. She's gonna make you a better wife. Right. <laughs> it's not actually what I said at all. Right. <laughs> you know, and right away the spouse is like, "Screw you! You're the one that needs a coach. This is not my problem." Like, why am I the one that has to change? So that message, you know, gets diluted, which of course is where the book came in. <laughs> so they can just go and give them a copy of the book where it's not, you know, it doesn't come across as there's no there's no blame, you know, both to your point earlier, both parties have a story that's absolutely true. It's harmonizing that story, right? It's taking the ego out. It's taking the right and wrong out. It's harmonizing the story to get back to that central point. And do you think that the, the, the either the entrepreneur or the spouse has to change or is it a more just a getting a better understanding of the spouse so that you empathize with them more so that it doesn't create your own stories or is it a bit of both? It's a bit of both. You know, so much of it starts with awareness. Most often spouses of entrepreneurs can feel really isolated. You know, if we say entrepreneurship is an isolating journey, like the spouse of an entrepreneur can be even more isolated because we have our mastermind groups, we have podcasts, we have books, we have, you know, all kinds of ways that we can interface together and kind of share the the entrepreneurial journey together. Um, the spouse doesn't necessarily have that. And we're starting to see more movement with that in companies like YPO and EO that have spouse forums. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're starting to see that, you know, that attention shift to, to the role of the spouse so that they're, that, that they're not so isolated. But a lot of times the spouse can feel like I'm the only one. And like, I want to talk to my friends about these problems that I'm having, but outside looking in, I have a fantastic life. 
what could I possibly have to worry about? You sure. know, are paid, our education is funded. We have resources, we have opportunities. Like who am I to complain? And the fact is, is that when you lose yourself in that gravitational pull and there's a disconnect from your true self, like your actual identity, of course there's pain. Of course there's suffering. You know, that's what depression and anxiety is, is that disconnect from our own recognition, our own actualization. Is and that is that what it's tied a lot to is that gravitational pull where the entrepreneur has all of that kind of up on the pedestal, a lower spotlight on them versus a, maybe just a successful spouse as a doctor or a lawyer where they're just, they don't really have that additional gravitational pull, do they? No. And I think, you know, I think the gravitational pull is part of it. I think the real culprit is the ambition. You know, if one person's really ambitious and driven, it's like they can, they can see the end result. Like they can get from point A to point Z in a nanosecond, like, you know, and for a spouse that's just looking for more fulfillment, he or she may not want to monetize something. Right. And that, that's a big conversation is like, as soon as I tell them I want to like take up knitting, it's like, we can monetize that. We'll get you an Etsy store and this is scale. And it's like, no, I just, <laughs> I just want to knit. Totally. <laughs> and so, you know, the CEO or the, the ambitious partner can be like, God, you know, the person has no drive, like they're, they just don't have it. And, you know, when we can see the contentment as a gift, because two driven entrepreneur and two driven people in a relationship is a totally different bag of, <laughs> of challenges. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? And I think a lot of time ambitious people think like, oh, I wish, you know, they were more ambitious and we shared this drive. And I think on the surface level, that's good, but it takes a really, really unique dialed in um, supportive couple to really make a, re a relationship between two driven people work. And so I think, you know, again, shifting like our greatest strength can also be our greatest weakness. And if we see this weakness as not being ambitious, when we can see that as a strength of like, actually my spouse's contentment or my spouse's um, sense of enrollment and balance actually helps keep my ambition so that I can focus on my own ambition. Like it's, it actually does support us. So it doesn't feel like a liability. It feels more like an asset in the relationship. You know, it's taking that judgment piece out and supporting the spouse to still pursue something like it doesn't have to be monetized or scalable or marketable, you know, but they, there has to be some arena for them to be self-expressed in. Sure. For sure. <clears throat> is it different when it's the male spouse versus the females being the spouse oh, yeah. or is it similar? Um, the challenges are the same, but the dynamics, when the, when the female is more driven, that's a completely different game. And I actually, the first time I got asked to speak at an entrepreneurial women's conference, it was like, a, um, women in financial services. I said, no, I'm like this, this message is not going to resonate with them. It's, you know, it, it's going to be seen as anti-feminist because, mm. you know, like it's just, it's not going to work. And the meeting organizer pushed back. She said, Kelly, Mike, my, my job is getting women through the ranks of, of my company. And one of the rungs on our ladder to success is divorce. Like the more and more successful my, my women become, the higher the divorce rate happens. And I got that in my bones. I'm divorced and I 100% credit my ambition to, to that, to the demise of that marriage. Because what happens is you know, we spend a lot of time in environments with other successful males. And for me personally, what, what happened for me is it was like, I would start to compare, you know, like I would start to tell stories of like, Oh, this guy did this and this guy did this. And at first it was like engaging dinner conversation. Fast forward a year or two, it started to become more comparisons and soon mm. it was like, come on, you know, and, um, my, you know, that comparison became a criticism 
Right. Right. And so, I mean, I don't have to tell you this when men feel that criticized, like they shut down. Game over. Yeah. Totally. It's interesting. I was, I was almost just kind of thinking in my head about if, a if you had the, a male CEO or entrepreneur with that strong gravitational pull and drive, you could almost empathize with the woman being left in the dust or feeling left out or feeling out of the spotlight and wanting to, to feel some of that. But if I flipped that scenario and had the strong female CEO, I don't feel like I'm empathizing with the guy. I'm like, suck it up, buttercup, like pull on your big boy pants and get your shit together. Like I don't have that same empathy and I probably should. It's weird because they have, because they do have that similar feeling and they're bucking against a a trend where the guys traditionally, you know, we're only one generation into women actually being the the breadwinner as well. They're, they're, they're getting rid of that stigma too. So it's gotta be hard for both. It is. And you know, I think it takes, it takes a really special person to be in a relationship with a driven person. Mm. And, you know, and so this, this is my favorite, my favorite way to look at it. You know, if we call the ambitious person, the alpha, you know, we think like maybe do, is it, you know, is the ideal relationship to alphas? I don't know. Like that seems like there's a lot of power struggle there. If we look at the relationship of like, okay, I have a driven ambitious entrepreneur with a supportive spouse. So we, maybe we call that a beta, you know, Yep what I see there is the beta losing his or her identity, you know, not really knowing who he or she is outside of the relationship. And the model that I'm really have a lot of, that I'm really been putting a lot of energy into. And I, it, it's, I think it's right is, you know, it's an alpha and an omega and an omega is excellence. An omega can stand on his or her own identity with or without the accolades with or without the, the spotlight you know, an Omega is somebody who is so fully self-possessed and can hold their own next to a powerful, ambitious spouse or without, right, you know, right. not getting their identity from the relationship. So I don't think it's alpha, alpha. I don't think it's alpha, beta. I think it's alpha and omega. And in a perfect world, it's, it's omega, omega, you know, and that's the whole foundation of what Lifebook was, was two extraordinary people, one extraordinary relationship. Mm. So that's the work I really do. So when we talk, you, you know, this original question was, is it change or awareness? The change that I really work on with couples is for both people to get locked and loaded on their own unique identity. So they're showing up to the relationship together. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I can totally see that happening too. Um, wow. Where do we go with this one? So it's interesting. I, I played a global uh, board position role with um, EO 22 years ago when we started the spousal forums um, for EO and I was on the, the committee for the global board on forum and um, we, we were doing all the debate and the focus groups to decide if we were going to put a spousal forum in place and the argument was like a resounding yes and one of the very first spousal forums that opened had a male member as a spouse and we were like what like we didn't even it didn't even occur to us and then we're like that's even cooler like we could really see this actually it, it almost validated the concept that there needed to be a space for spouses to connect and share and learn from each other when the first one had a guy in it as the spouse. It was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, that's, a, it's a tough dynamic and you know, I have worked with a couple men who are spouses and you know, the, the work with the female CEO and that is like watching the compliment to criticism ratio, hmm. really making sure that you're speaking life into your partner. Um, because as women, we are life givers and the words that we speak mean so much to our men, you know, and so mm. watching that compliment to criticism ratio is the change that, 
that happens with the more ambitious partner. Like don't criticize, don't make those answers wrong. You know, does your work spin off into the children of entrepreneurs at all as well? Yeah. In fact, I, I'm working with three father son couples right now, um, which is a really, really interesting dynamic for me to be involved in. Yeah, it's got to be. I was just talking with um, Chip Wilson from Lululemon. We're both heading off to a conference um, this weekend. He said, I'm, uh, I'd love to be able to have you join me on my plane down, but I'm having a kind of father-son time with my, my one son. I'm like, yeah, I totally get it. Like there's times when you just need to actually connect and having another entrepreneur around is, is kind of gets in the way of that because we can always have somebody else in our world. So you're starting off the relationship then with a, with a couple or with a CEO. How do you enter into this conversation? Where do you start with them? Um, well, it really depends. So the, the three touch points that like the three portals that I'll get into the relationship is either between play, praise and purpose. And so, you know, if the relationship is quote unquote boring, you know, there's, they're not necessarily, there's not like in crisis mode, but there's definitely room for improvement. Um, and that's where I think uh, entrepreneurs get into workaholism mode is because work mm -hmm. is more fun. You know, we get, we get into flow states there, you know, all, all the juicy brain centers are activated. We're getting, you know, great results with little effort. We're making a difference. We're making an impact. Like, <laughs> And how it becomes an addiction is because it activates those same brain centers. Totally. Right. And it's like, and actually this is what I learned at strategic coach was, you know, back then the, the whole model is work less, make more. And it was the big focus was on free days. Yeah. Yeah. So entrepreneurs are flying in from all over the world. They're writing checks to figure out how do we get these free days? And it's, it's you know, it's such a foundational concept in which it's, it's the first concept that, that was taught. And um, so, you know, we, we set them up like, here's your model. Here's how you talk to your clients. Here's how you set expectations with the team. Like, here's how you do it. <laughs> like, well, and so many entrepreneurs don't even recognize that the vast majority of their free days aren't free days. They're just at a conference with other entrepreneurs that they're having a fun time with, but that's not free time. No, no. And it's why, and here, here's why I think that's happening. So, you know, workshop one, we, we tell them how to have the free days, send them out for 90 days, give them a quarter to practice. They come back for workshop two and it's like, okay, great. How are your free days? And it's like, doo, doo, doo. Yeah. <laughs> like what's making eye contact. And it's like, well, what happened? I just realized like I'm, I'm heading off to this conference um, on Saturday for four days, abundance 360. And for me, it'll be fun and engaging and disconnecting from my business in terms of the day to day. But really, I'm on. I'm I'm there as a thought leader, and I'm with other CEOs. I'm sure I have some clients there. My girlfriend's coming to join me at the event, so she'll be there for for the, the whole time. But the reality is, I'm going to be in work mode. And mm -hmm. if I don't disconnect from that work mode, then I'm not showing up as the person that you want to in the relationship either, right? Right. Because like, what? I'm assuming I haven't <laughs> talked about this, but like there's times where we're just Jones for like the curtain to be closed and we get our man to ourself or our right. Ourself. Yeah. And when you're always on, like there's always that, that mask up. And so, um, and so that's why I talk about play is because in play, we get to see our partner in their best light. They get to see us in our best light. Like we're disconnected. We don't have the masks and the, the walls up, um, you know, and play produces the same the same level of rejuvenation that flow does it, it, it you can achieve the exact same sure, mental play than you can at work and flow. And so that's also where love grows. Um, Matthew Kelly has a great, you know, he talks about carefree timelessness mm. and that is where love grows. Like look at our dating relationship and what gets us to the altar. You just mentioned Matthew. I'll link to his book, the dream manager. What's your book called Kelly? Mine is the power of play, praise and purpose. 
Okay. I'll get that linked in the show notes as well. Um, and then I'll link to Matthews too. There's, there's something in there about the, the whole, and I think you would probably subscribe to this and with the whole life book idea, maybe just tell us what life book is. Cause I think there's probably, do you take a lot of the tools from life book or still push people into John and Missy's life book program at all? Or. Um, so the biggest tool I use from LifeBook is interconnectivity, which it says that all 12 categories of our life are so deeply connected. Like they're it, like great if you have a, a nice business, but you know, show me where your health and fitness is. Show me where your parenting relationship is. Like they all talk to each other. Mm. There's, they all inform one another 100%. And so that's the biggest takeaway from me that I use from LifeBook is really helping couples understand the power of the love relationship. It's so powerful. Like John and Missy, they introduced category 13, which is this, you know, the sexual relationship and how much that feeds every other category. And so that when that love relationship is locked and loaded, it's like both people are bulletproof. It's like you have two eyes, two sets of ears, two brains, two hands working on the same problem. And so getting the love relationship locked and loaded is one of the best business moves you can make. And of course, I know sure. They don't want the spouse to feel like great. Our marriage counseling or coaching just sex and yeah, (laughs) business move. Like you know, sometimes we have to go in that door with CEOs to really get their attention of how big of a deal it is. Mm, For sure, the um, I created a a concept, just trademarked it called the vivid vision, and the idea with that vivid vision is like kind of leaning out three years into the the future, describing your business. But we've also talked in the book, Vivid Vision, about describing your personal life three years in the future as well. Do you work with CEOs or their spouses on that kind of aspect as well? And and doing a vision board or life book ideas, is that part of what you do? Absolutely, and that's a that's a really great point. This is going to be useful to your audience. One of the things we looked at with LifeBook is, so LifeBook, if for some reason people aren't familiar, is um, it's really it really intense four-day deep dive with looking at all 12 categories of your life. So they're like, I've been in the workshop room with the best of the best going through this process. And there's extraordinary couples in that community. Like the most extraordinary couples I've ever spent time with have come through the LifeBook community. And at one point we took all, like all of our extraordinary couples and we looked at their introspect assessment, which is the, the assessment that you take going into LifeBook. And it measures, it measures where you start, the, you know, where your starting point is prior to the program in all 12 categories. And so we're like, okay, what do these couples have? What's true for these couples that takes them out of ordinary and into like the stratosphere of the relationship? And we're expecting to see a lot like similar scores and, you know, their financial life, their spiritual life, their parenting so like these are the categories we're expecting to see synergy in. And what we found out is that the most extraordinary couples, the the category that they had that they scored the highest in was life vision, which means they were working towards the same point in the future together. Maybe they were they maybe they're on different pages financially, from a parenting perspective, spiritually, didn't matter what those other categories were. But if, if mm when they show that they were working towards the same, to use your words, vision, vivid vision out in the future, that was the thing that separated ordinary from extraordinary. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. They have that same common goal and common drive. It starts to connect them back to why we're doing what we're doing now. Exactly. How do you, how do you get the couples through some of the tough conversations? How do you, how do you get the CEO to wake up and to get introspective and see what they're doing wrong or to see where they need to improve? Um, so uh, most of my work happens actually individually. So I'm not on the call with both people, which lets me say things that I don't have to filter. Like when I'm on the phone with a CEO, I can have direct conversations about 
how control, the need for control is interfering with their intimacy. Mm. Um, Cause that's often a big thing. And it, you know, when I can, when I can be on a phone with a CEO heart to heart, you know, I, I know how important it is for you to maintain control with your company. I understand it a thousand percent and I support you in it a thousand percent. And at home, that need for control is, is shutting your spouse down, mm. you know? And so your, your spouse can't full, show up fully expressed, totally ready to be intimate, totally ready to be connected to you. Like it's that actually that wall. Are you willing to look at what it looks like when we don't have that need for control at home, mm. you know, and working through um, the significance it, that's that's the most powerful conversation that I get to have. Um, helping him or her understand, you know, that that monetizes, like it doesn't have to be a business model. It doesn't have to be workable. But if you can see her or him, like that's intimacy. Into me, you see. Interest, if- yeah, that's Esther Perel's line, I think. Um, inter- or somebody's line. That's interesting that you're really getting them to do their own work to go into the relationship having worked on themselves versus trying to get, the couple in the same room all the time. It's, it's the most effective way because they, you know, they have skin in the game. I can say the same thing to either partner that they're, you know, that they've been saying to each other for years because I have no skin in the game. They can hear me differently than they can hear their, their spouse or their partner. Right. Right. And it, it comes through with no blame, no judgment, complete compassion. Like this, this, this trait, this skill serve you at some point. It probably still serves you in business. Probably still does in some way, sure. Right. The, the game is figuring out when it's working against you. And right now in your marriage, it's working against you. Interesting. Well, I heard you say something early was the, um, the ADD or the, the um, what was it around the entrepreneur? They have that severe ADD. So then when they're at home, they're not connecting. I can't remember what the point was, but you've got a really good perspective on on them so walk walk us through then the play praise and purpose parts and how do those all intersect or how do they fit together sure um okay and so the praise is you know talking about the things that make us successful in business and recognizing you know there's good and bad qualities to every trait and also the thing that probably drives you the, the craziest in your relationship like that that thing that your spouse does that's bringing you the most suffering right now is probably the thing that you were most attracted to in the beginning mm-hmm you know, at some point that, that switch flips. And so it's getting back to see how that trade is also working for you. It's paying attention to the compliment to criticism ratio. Nobody wants to, to be home every day with somebody who's constantly criticizing them, whether it's they're you know, they're too much or they're not enough or whatever. So it's really paying attention to the compliment to criticism ratio. One of my favorite questions is what's the best compliment you can get? you know, or what's the best compliment your spouse can get? Because a lot of times it's like, Kelly, I try, you know, I try and tell her she looks great or I try and tell him he's doing a great job. And it's like, that's fantastic. But like, if you're coming home and you're like, oh, you look great in those yoga pants. Like, well, maybe she taught your kid to read that day. Like maybe that's what she really wants to be appreciated for. Or, you know, thank you so much for, for all the work you're doing for our family. But, you know, what I really want to be appreciated for is I'm creating the legacy. And sometimes people don't even know what their best compliment is, you know, but again, getting back to intimacy, like, what do you really want to be seen for? What do you really want to be celebrated for? Mm. And that's all, you know, I always get, when I'm speaking to groups, I always get the, the pause where they're like, yeah, I don't know. And so it's, you know, that's a good conversation for couples to have. Um, Cause you can find that opportunity and speak into it. Are there, I know it's hard in, in generalizing, but, but are there like, you know, the vast majority of entrepreneurial CEOs are ADD and bipolar. Are there traits 
that you notice the vast majority of entrepreneurs um, or the, and are they different for male and female entrepreneurs? Um, but are there traits that we can kind of point to that people will go, oh, shit, yeah, that's definitely me. I need to work, start working on this. Um, for, for the entrepreneurs. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the, it's the qualifying or the, you know, the wanting to beef up. Like when your partner says they want to do something, it's like always correcting their goals or their dreams. You know, it's always having an input or it's always at like, offering a suggestion to make it bigger mm. that tends to shut spouses down. Cause it's like, well, I guess I can't even get my goals. Right. So I'm just not going to say anything. Right. <laughs> There's that disconnect that happens. Um, so giving your partner space to have freestyle conversations without judgment on them, you know, it's not right or wrong. Like it's a, it's a new perspective. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, if you're feeling, if you, if your spouse or your kids have said to you, you know, we're not an employee, that's, that's another pretty good indicator that there's work to do. Um, if work feels like more fun. Ooh, that's a big one, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I talked to, I talked to a couple of, of um, entrepreneurs about that, that, you know, the reality is so many entrepreneurs have lost sight of what was fun and like, Oh, work is my passion. Even Dan Sullivan, a strategic coach. I'm like, bullshit you know, work, work is not actually a healthy passion. Work is work and work is what we do to make money and give us free time. But passion is passion, like playing games and playing sports and going for hikes and entertaining with friends and being, in, you know, interested in things and learning and living life is fun. Totally. Like no one actually gives a shit. And this is my biggest test is if you're at a cocktail party, do people want to hear about your work? they really don't like, I don't really care about your work. You don't care about my work, but I'm more interested in what are you doing for fun and what were you doing for deep introspective work on yourself and where are you traveling to? And, um, you know, what was the coolest dish you've eaten recently and what movie did you see? Like, I want to know what people are doing for fun. And I think entrepreneurs have lost sight of that. And is that what their spouses are aching for is some of that playtime back with them? Yes. Dying for it. And one of, one of my couples, they, they call it, you know, the, this, they call it, like their travel has become crop dusting. It's like, we want to see all these things, but we've traveled so well. It's like, now we just crop dust every location, just like check it off the list. And, you know, one of them's like, I just want to sit and like have a, a glass of wine at a cafe and like watch people and talk about people and have carefree talents. It's like, I'm just, I'm sick of the, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, I, I, well, I was again, just thinking of this abundance 360. You said sometimes the spouse just wants us to pull back the curtain and just be present with them. And I think that what I'll probably do is just grab Ashley each day and just get the fuck out of the conference and I'll skip something or avoid, I don't need to be at every lunch or be at every coffee thing or every break. And maybe we'll just go for a walk and go for a coffee outside of the building instead of sitting around everybody. Cause I'm con she calls me the mayor. There's constantly people coming up to me to say hello or, and even with my ex, it was the same thing. Like at every event that I would go to, even though she was so strong, there was always this kind of beacon of light on me that was hurting, mm -hmm. which I don't like. Yeah. And you know, she, we attract our partners for a reason. You know, they, they want to be by our bigness for a reason. There's something in them that's wanting to come out and it, mm. it gets to come out in our reflections with, with one another, you know, so pouring that light onto her, it, you know, it's so powerful and it, it just, it's little spurts. Like, you know, it's 15 minutes here and there. It doesn't have to be, you know, these huge fancy vacations all the time. And when I talk about play, you know, if we can get 15 minutes a day, whether it's walking the dog or what playing dominoes, like whatever it is of just, I mean, that's, we can find 15 minutes a day, right? And mm -hmm. if we, can, like, we have other problems that we have to solve first. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but it's that it's, it's 
like they're just jonesing for it in their bones. And that's why it feels like a lonely marriage. You know, like I can't find them without the mask and you know, all the, the people around them. So do these, do the CEOs start recognizing this first or is it usually the spouse that's recognizing the problems first? Um, I think the spouse recognizes the problem first, but doesn't really know where to go or how to fix it. Or, you know, it's just me or just my marriage. The CEO tends to be more solution. All right, let's find the solution for it. Um, and I think that's why coaching has become attractive is it's not counseling where counseling is focused on all this stuff that's happened in the past and you risked our house and you lost this business. Like it's not whatever, like whatever has happened has happened. Like coaching is focused on the future. So let's take whatever has happened and let's decide what we're going to make out of it, which tends to let CEOs engage more because it's not marriage counseling. Now, now we're talking about coaching. We're talking about establishing that visit vivid vision in the it's a, future. It's a safer word for them. <laughs> Totally. So dumb. <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not broken, right? Um, it's funny. My sister, when they first got married, went to a marriage counselor or coach, and I was like, "What the fuck? You've been married for like six months. Like, is there a, that big of a problem?" She goes, "Oh, there's no problem." She goes, "We just want to have a highly functioning marriage, and we're both high performance athletes that have always had coaches. We thought we'd get a marriage coach right at the beginning." Yeah. Do you work with couples like that at all where, where you get in and engage with them, you know, as they're getting going versus waiting until there's a problem? Yeah. Yeah. One of my couples right now, actually a dentist and a, a different entrepreneur, entrepreneur in the different healthcare space, they're pre-baby, you know, they just, they both just got through startup mode. So they're both just starting to enjoy a little bit of autonomy in their business. Um, huge transitions with moving homes, things like that you know, and they're pre-baby and it's like, we feel like this can, can nosedive. So we want to get some strategies in place right now as a couple before we put a baby into the mix. Um, that's a really fun conversation because you know, I'm like, these actually aren't problems, but it's, it's good that we're start talking through it now just for some perspective before baby gets here. So absolutely. Oh, that's a whole, that's a whole different world too, right? Like we, yeah. I had a, a couple that I'm friends with from a mastermind group and both of them are entrepreneurs, both in interrelated businesses, and they just had their first child. And they're like, it's not going to change anything. I'm like, you are so fucking wrong. Famous <laughs> <laughs> last words. Like, Jesus, it's going to change everything. Like, it'll be great, but shit, are you ever on crack? Yeah. Um, all right. So big, big suggestions that you make for couples or big for suggestions for CEOs in terms of starting these discussions or connecting with their spouse on this stuff. Where do they go? Where do they start? Um, so obviously like, always be, like trying to fix it right away. Right. <laughs> Here's the pill. <laughs> um, you know, I talk about date, date nights, but not dinner and a movie because what's going to happen. You're going to sit down at dinner you're talking about the house. You're talking about the kids that blah, blah, blah. like we're going to perpetuate the rut. So playtime for date nights, like going out and doing an activity together, um, is big. Also coincide like with, with that is having, um, a marriage meeting. So because we don't want to spend your date nights talking about, the household management stuff and the household management stuff needs to be dealt with. So if you can separate those out, you leave your date nights for fun. You leave your marriage meetings to talk about the calendar, the schedule, you know, household maintenance things. And Hey, there's this, you know, you, you did something the other night that really bothered me. I've been brushing it under the rug cause there hasn't been a good time, but I, you know, I just, I, it made me feel really insecure when you compared me to that other person or whatever the challenge is, because what happens is 
you know, we kick the can down the road or we brush everything under the rug, there's never a good time to bring anything up because we're in a really good spot right now. Like, why would I ruin it? <laughs> I might get late tonight. I'm not going to bring up this big problem that we've been having. Or she's already mad about this. I'm not going to put more gasoline on the fire. So we just keep kicking these things down the road and establish marriage, marriage meetings sets a like a safe rhythm where we're going to talk mm -hmm. about, you know, totally. necessary logistics. And we're going to talk about this thing that I've been. I love the idea of the marriage meeting, especially because for the, for the entrepreneur, they already get meetings. They understand that it has a purpose and outcomes. There's like a model there an agenda they're going to flow through. And for the spouse, they're like, Oh good. We, we're going to work on this. So yes. the spousal, the spouse will work on it with every fucking plan you want to go with. We'll work on it as long as we're working on it. So I have two, two um, CEO friends of mine. One is a guy named Daryl Hicks, who is part of Mastermind Talks and YPO. He and his wife, Natasha, go on a quarterly dinner together and they rate themselves on five areas, you know, um, parent, spouse, lover, friend, and confidant. And they rate themselves on how they're showing up. So Daryl will rate how he's showing up as a lover and then he'll rate how she's showing up as a lover and then how he's showing up as a dad and how she's showing up as a mom. So they rate themselves on the other one and then they flip. And they do that every quarter. It's really powerful. I've done the exercise a couple times. And then I've got another friend of mine, Greg Keys, who's um, EO. And uh, Greg and Diana had spreadsheets. And Greg decided to just track everything that was important in the relationship. He's like, if I'm going to have date nights, I'm going to track them and make sure I do them. Or if I'm going to go and have playtime, I'm going to track them. So one day, Diana came into his office and saw the spreadsheet that he, like every day, he would tick things off and She's like, you added three rows. She goes, you've got G-O-D-O -O and G-D-O. What the hell are those? And he starts laughing and she goes, what, what's G-O and D-O and G-D-O? And he goes, it's Greg's orgasms, Diana's orgasms, and Greg's and Diana's simultaneous <laughs> orgasms. She goes, fuck you. You are not tracking our orgasms. He goes, when did our sex life get great again? She goes, it was about eight weeks ago. He pulls out his spreadsheet and almost to the day, Eight weeks before, he starts tracking them. And she goes, well, wait, what's shower mean beside this day? And he goes, remember? And she goes, my God, you can't put specifics down. <laughs> so Greg's like, look, if it, if, it, if, it, if it matters, you have to manage that stuff. And if you really actually care about your relationship, then dig in. And I love that this entrepreneur found a system that was very entrepreneurial, but was so connected to what mattered Yes. On the, on the personal side. So have you got little systems, maybe not quite as crazy as Greg's, but do you have systems like that in your book that you walk us through? Yeah. And actually, coaching? yeah, that, it, that actually is something that can shut some spouses down. Like I don't want to go have a whiteboard meeting with him. Like I, you know, because that's his territory and I feel like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to come in and my goal's not going to be big enough. And so sometimes there's, there's resistance from the spouse. Like don't, Okay. This is, I'll put a KPI on our KPI in our relationship. Okay. And to your to to that story, you know, results that, that are measured and improved, results that are measured improve, right? If they're measured and improved and reported, they improve dramatically. So if it works for one partner, they can do that in isolation. Like that doesn't actually have to be shared. Um so the strategy is to co-create the marriage meeting. You know, find an environment that's conducive for both people to show up and be authentic. Find a rhythm. Find um, find the right questions. Like, make sure we're we're asking the right questions and having the right conversations. So it's probably not going to work if the CEO shows up and says, "Here, here's what we're doing." It's going to be a nice thought, but again, if there's already judgment in the relationship, it's probably going to shut the spouse down. Mm -hmm. So the marriage meeting should be co-creative. How often are we having it? 
where are we having it? What are we doing? Are we having wine or coffee or, you know, where is it happening? Because again, to my point earlier of us being starving for that attention, it's like, oh my gosh, our marriage is actually going to start getting the same amount of focus that the business had. And I get a say in how we're going to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And please keep your cell phone in the car or in another room during that meeting, right? Absolutely. Um, Praise. What's that look like? Both sides. So again, it's knowing what they want to be praised for, what we appreciate, appreciates. And if we're always appreciating that they're never connected or they're never present or they're never, you know, am working towards something, we're going to see more of that. And so um, really appreciating what we want to see more of and speaking into that every time we see it, you know, knowing what our partners want to be seen for, it trains our brains, you know, it trains our reticular activator, like, oh, she's doing that thing that she really wants to be loved for. I have to speak into that. Mm, right. Like, yeah. Right. It's, it's like following the love languages, the five love languages and the five do you, have you seen the five apology languages now as well? No, tell me about that. So the, the love languages are, you know, words of affirmation, physical touch, um, uh, acts of kindness, um, quality time and. Did you say gifts? Gifts and gifts are the fifth. Um, and then the apology languages, I don't know them off the top are how we like to be apologized to. Um, so whether it's, you know, um, you know, a formal apology or whether it's, um, you know, time or space, but I, I got to go back through them all, but there's like five ways that people like to be apologized to as well. And I think there's some, some interesting kind of little bits of models that can be pulled into relationships too. Cause my love languages are words of affirmation and physical touch. And my girlfriend's love languages are, um, quality time and, um, words of affirmation. So she likes just time, which means like put put my cell phone away. Whereas gifts mean nothing to her. You know, if I bought her a gift that like Mm -hmm. doesn't do anything for me, same thing. Like, yeah, not really. So when somebody comes and gives me a hug, I just, I melt. Right. And, And that's all it takes to just disconnect me. But if a spouse pulls away from me physically to go into another room or anything that destroys me, right? Where, because my, when mine is physical touch, I need something around, right? So it's really, I think, even understanding your spouse that way as well. Yeah. Did you know that there's a sex language book, the sex language index? No. It's by Jaya. It's called the erotic blueprint. And it will, it talks about um, the different, you know, I equate it to the love languages, but it's specific to sex. So, and, and I think anytime we have data points on our partner, any, anything or index that gives us ways to understand the worldview of our partner, it automatically makes us more in tune. You know, it automatically makes us a better partner because we're not looking at everything through our own lens and like judging like, well, why aren't, why aren't they responding to this? It's, you know, it's a new data point for how we can show up for them and still make sure that our needs are being expressed and met and I hope I won't break that model, but I'll check that one out. The sex language. <laughs> <laughs> like error, St. Cross. Like shit. Just error, 404. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck are you? <laughs> um, all right. Any, any kind of closing tips that you've got for us on um, how the CEO and spouse or how, because this is really how can the CEO show up for their spouse or how can even the second in command talk to the CEO? Maybe give us something there. Because a lot of our listeners are COOs and second in commands. How can they, and their job is to help the CEO make their dreams happen. So how can we nudge? If I think back to, you know, when we were building 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I was the COO, Brian was the CEO. Um, how could I have nudged Brian to have a better relationship with his spouse? You know, I think paying attention to it. And I think in 
in the workspace. And, you know, I'm assuming with men, it's just not a safe conversation to have, or it's not a traditional or obvious conversation to have. It's okay. okay One-on-one, but not in a group. Totally. Totally. And I think checking in on that and, um, you know, making sure that this, I'm here for our, you know, the business's success and your long-term success. So how are things at home? Do you need more time off? I need more time off or, you know, we, we need to make sure our marriages are cohesive and um, making sure that it's, that it's one of the data points that's, you know, on the dashboard of success. Um, you know, I, I think it takes probably a really special relationship to be able to have that rapport. Hopefully that's in place with the CEO and the COO, but mm. um, I think just making it an obvious conversation to have and something that you, you each, you know, you're checking in on each, on with each other. I think one thing to, to for people to to remember about at least the male CEO or the male entrepreneurs is that at, at deep down they're human and they're starving for intimacy and they're starving for human connection and they're in a partnership. I think we cheapen it when we just say it's about sex. Like if you want to get another blowjob, be nice to your wife. If you want to be, right. like get whatever, bring flowers. Like that's all bullshit. That's not what they're starving for. What they're really starving for is that that human connection of the person they fell in love with or entered into the relationship with. And it's almost somehow appealing to them on that level of saying, hey, it's, it's how I approach a lot of the CEOs that I coach on the fun side is like, I'm like, this isn't really fun for you. You're avoiding the fun. You're avoiding the. You're avoiding calling your friends that you haven't called for seven years. You're avoiding hanging out with your wife and kids. You've forgotten about all of your hobbies. So all you have left that feeds your dopamine rush is the unhealthy habits in your life. One of which is work. So yeah. it's somehow appealing to the longing for, yeah, fuck. I just want a date night too. Like I really want to. They want to let their guard down, but they don't know how to do that or feel safe. It's somehow entering that discussion for them. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's such relief, you know, when you can, when you can put that in front of them and they can like, yeah, like they don't have to get there. It's not a conversation. It's a revelation. Like, yes, it's just such a sweet relief for them. So here's, here's one. And this is, this just kind of occurred to me. You and I have both got, you know, failed marriages or past marriages or um, exes. I don't think they're failed anymore. I now have looked at them as just stages and part of, of who we are in this human dynamic. And unfortunately, or fortunately or unfortunately, whatever, 50% of marriages fail. How do you help spouses or do you ever talk to them about how to have a healthier exit and a healthier breakup with their ex? Um, Because I think there's so much, you know, I've been married twice now. My first wife and I have a very, you know, good relationship where we raised kids together, you know, they're 18 and 16 and we talk really nicely and communicate really well together. How do you, or can you work with them on, on breaking up clean and nicer with their ex as well? Yeah. Um, or is that a whole it, different area? It's a whole different area. And thankfully we, you know, we, I've only gotten close to that topic. Like, you know, are we, or aren't we a few times? Um, and it, you know, it always comes down to gratitude. It always comes down to lessons learned opportunities past and future. Um, I think you're right. I think it's the gratitude and self-examination, right? Like really, well, really being grateful for what was great in the relationship and then also being self-reflective enough to see where you harm things too. Cause there's, it's, I, I don't, I wish I had something on me, but I, well, our listeners won't even see this, but what color is this book? Right. You'd look at it and say it's, it's white. Well, the other side of the book is red. There's really two sides to it. Right. And I think there's, I think there's even that in, in building a strong relationship with a couple as well as recognizing that your spouse has a different perspective for that same day that you have. Totally. 
you know, for me, the real freedom came when I accepted a hundred percent responsibility because going through the divorce was like, well, this happened and this happened, did it, you know, and it was like, okay. And actually this, <laughs> I also did these other things. So, and that, that for me was total liberation. You know, it takes you out of victim and just, it get, you know, it's the part that you can control and grow from so that you never have to do that again. Or That's right the spotlight one that you opened with at the beginning where the, the entrepreneur is often in the spotlight or on the pedestal and how that really feels to the CEO and to their spouse really struck me as, as fucking horribly true because most entrepreneurs are feeding off of that spotlight. And I don't think we recognize at all that it's actually really harming our spouse that it's, it's hurting them and um, they're sitting silently suffering and they're, not, they're no longer cheering us on. And in the early days, they're there by our side and cheering us on and loving the spotlight and excited for us. But then all of a sudden, it really grates on them. And I, I've never seen that until you just mentioned it, which is scary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so perfect timing, right? Timing is everything. And mm. having the lens for that now, it, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to be out of the spotlight. It doesn't mean the spotlight is wrong. But you know, our spouse gets to see us in our weakest, darkest moments. You know, and when they feel like, well, I, I can't be the one that criticizes him because everybody else loves him. And, you know, now I'm the negative one. Like, again, well, or that your spouse is craving some of that spotlight, too. And once in a while, oh. you can put the spotlight on them. Right. Like on, on just even. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Oh. Kelly, if you had any words of advice for yourself going back to like the 22 year old starting out in your career, um, <laughs> what advice would you have for yourself? Something, you know, to be true now, but you wish you'd known earlier that my mess is my biggest message. You know, for a long time, I was like, I can't talk about this. I'm divorced. <laughs> and it's because I'm divorced that gives me the credibility to, you know, it's, it's because of my quote unquote failed relationships that have given me the strength to, to transform it, not only in my own life, but now to have a domino effect with everybody I come in contact with, you know, and I think that that ripple effect of fixing families and love relationships transcends anything that I could have done in, you know, a long marriage. That's awesome. Kelly Clements from the entrepreneur.com. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. We really, really appreciate this. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.